Hello, hello, hello. This is Streetwise, the podcast extension of the Pitch City. I'm your editor in chief and host, Brock Wilbur. How are you guys doing? How are things? Uh, I am trying to chill out. I'm not trying to chill out so much as um, the rest of the pitch st- staff has said, like, hey, uh, you've worked for 200 hours straight covering protests and COVID and everything else. Uh, we worry that if you don't stop soon, you'll die of a heart attack or sadness. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, the people need me. Uh, <laughs> I tried to take a break today in the afternoon, just was like, you know what, I'll stop at 2. At about 1.30, our our website software lets us put stories up. It broke. So I had to spend the rest of the day uh, fixing that. So like even when I try to to fix something, it goes wrong. Um, Stephanie Carey, uh, one of our co-owners, told me this morning, don't go in. Just don't go into the office. Uh, you stay at home. You take care of yourself. Uh, you uh, you ignore everything. Like you get some naps in. You you do you do you. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. And uh, this morning it was particularly windy. And as I was walking into the office, a gigantic tree branch <laughs> broke off of a tree. And just hit me right smack in the goddamn face. Just directly on the head and in the face. And it was just like, okay. So, like, 2020 is personally coming after me. This uh, this feels hurtful. Uh, maybe I have to listen to it. And as I tried to, uh, like, kick the branch away to move past it, I nearly tripped on it a second time. And I was like, hey, you know what? You know what? Getting back in the car. Going home, everyone's right. Uh, I, I I think I'm done with this. Uh, oh boy, we're just having time out there right now. Um, things are pretty okay, all things considered. Uh, our numbers on Corona stuff are not nearly as bad as as anyone thought they would be right now. Um, People seem to be treating each other nicely. The protests have all gone very peacefully uh, now. Uh, Everyone's good. Uh, So, I don't know. Is that a sense of hope that I feel? I hope it is. Uh, That's why we're here, hoping for better things. Uh, We started up a membership program here at The Pitch. If you would like to help support us in a monthly way, and get access to a bunch of cool stuff, including prizes, rewards, funny hats, tiny cats. I don't know. I really don't know what the awards situation like looks like, but it seems like people are going to be doing well by it. Sign up for a membership. Uh, today, I am talking to my friend Gail. Uh Gail Folsom is a person that moved out here at the exact same time that I did. We both moved from the coast. I I from LA and she from SF and in SF, she was my wife's best friend. Um, And we're all just so goddamn happy that we moved out here when we did. If we'd stayed there, we would be stuck inside houses for months on end. 
uh, and everything would cost so much more, and we would live in traffic. And uh, this is just sort of like a fun circle around about like how great Missouri, Kansas City is. Um, it's nice. It's kind of fun. It's it's something that's existed as a text message for us for like a couple of months now. Where like every once in a while we're just like, hey, are you just like thrilled that we made this choice when we did? Uh, especially in the wake of people being like, why would you, why would you leave California? California is the best place in the world. And now that all my friends in California have another four months to spend inside and, uh, the entirety of the entertainment industry is falling apart. It's like, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll sit here with this newspaper that's falling apart. Let's do that instead. Uh, I think people donate to us. I think we'll, we'll, we'll make it. Uh, the TV show Riverdale will not. Uh, so that's us. Anyway, uh, Gail is coming up on the interviews, but right now it's time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Back in March, rapper Jamel Thompson released his latest EP as The Royal Chief, entitled Groundwork. It follows up on his 2019 series of three-packs, as well as that year's Homecoming EP. Groundwork's five songs are powerful and feature an outlook toward the future desperately needed right now. For instance, a song like Keep That Same Energy takes negativity and reflects it back upon those who throw shade. In an email to The Pitch, Thompson explains that he calls this EP Groundwork because it was laying the foundation that makes later work or progress possible. Thompson lived in Atlanta for five years, moving back to Casey in 2017. While in Atlanta, the rapper gained a wealth of knowledge about the music industry and felt that he needed to bring everything that he learned from his experiences there back home and apply it here. The track we're featuring this week, 100 Miles, takes that forward-looking view and brings it into clear focus, replete with a Patrick Mahomes reference and a sweet hook from Jay Saul. Plus, any song that makes a reference to 99 and a half won't do, however obliquely, has my endorsement. You can find out about all things The Royal Chief at theroyalchief.com, and you can listen to all of Groundwork on Spotify, but take a listen to 100 Miles now. Doubt me, y'all know how to bring it out of me. Love the niggas who been shouting me out, you other niggas gonna be casualties. On site, no formalities. Long nights, thinking strategy. Long time, they been counting me out. Now I'm banking the chart on account for me. I'm taking what y'all ain't allowed for me. Sit back and watch as the legacy grows. I'm on the hunt while you niggas play catch up. When they up the stakes, I go Patrick Mahomes. All of that fronting, y'all can't be for real. Remember back in the day, you ain't fuck with the songs. Back in the day, used to camp for the phones. The hard away on the route to the throne. Y'all don't know what's coming. I've been up to something. Came from next to nothing, hundred miles and running, hundred miles and running. No, y'all don't know what's coming. I've been up to something. Came from next to nothing, hundred miles and running, hundred miles. I like when the lights like this. Tell me what's the price of a life like this? Nigga, pray to Christ on them nights like this. Take a risk, roll the dice, though I just might miss. I might not fit. Say I'm wild, but I'm not quite lit. She like my style, but I might don't hit. I might don't quit. Long as I get ahead, then I come in a quick. We came a long way from slave ships. Just to slave away on the grave shit. 40 hours for this punk ass pay slip. At least let a nigga get a day shift. My life changed when I first heard spaceships. Full throttle. You can have the numbers, a nigga rigging the lotto. We ain't got a pass, got a few. We can follow 200 miles later, 200 more tomorrow. Y'all don't know what's coming. I've 
I've been up to something. Came from next to nothing, hundred miles and running, hundred miles and running, no. Y'all don't know what's coming. I've been up to something. Came from next to nothing, hundred miles and running, hundred miles. You don't know what I've been through. Hey, you can walk a mile in my shoes. So many setbacks, had so many that I left back to the city that I left back. Had to take the time to step back. Keep in mind that every setbacks, opportunity to get back. Opportunity don't miss that. Opportunity to live out your dreams. Everything's within your means. Everything ain't what it seems. The good, the bad, the bullshit that come in between. Everyone ain't on your team. Some living routine. Lost in that day to day thing. I'm caught in these makeaway schemes. A fiend. Chance on the ultra light beam. Long as that 808 ring. As long as it rang off, ain't taking no days off. They playing the game soft. I'm fucking the game raw. No journey to gain all. The gurney I may fall. I'm burning the flame tall. The passion, the pain. Thinking bigger, see it clearer. Looking in the mirror. That's when niggas different. Niggas bit it. They sit back and bigger. Prime to paint the picture. Photo figure. Finger fuck a trigger. Flip a floor figure. You ain't never seen a nigga like me. Hey, here's my interview with Gail Folsom. I hope you enjoy. Hey, so quick little aside here. I'd like to drop in. Um, a few of you have written in to let me know that some of the interviews lately have sounded uh, less good or, or more good. Uh, that There's a little inconsistency week to week. So here's the thing. Uh, during coronavirus, no one can come into my studio and we can't use the nice mics and, uh, and the things don't work right. So sometimes we're doing this over the phone. Uh, sometimes uh, somebody is doing it over their computer in the largest room that they possibly could, so it sounds like an opera house. We are just trying to make do uh, to get cool interviews put together for you right now. I promise that things will start to sound better in a couple of weeks. Uh, so that's just my heads up. I, I appreciate everyone that wrote in to be like, this sounds terrible today. I'm like, yeah. I know. I'm very well aware. It's just how all pod podcasts have to work right now because no one can go into studios. I, I work on, on very, very big shows that have, have recordings that are much, much worse than this. And uh, as an audiophile, I am tired of hearing phone audio as well every time I try to listen to a show. So just letting you know we're aware. We're trying to make it sound as good as possible. Anyway, here's our interview this week. Gail Folsom, welcome, welcome to the show. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. How are you? Who are you? Tell people who you are. <laughs> I'm Gail Folsom. Um, I am a mother of two. Uh, I moved here from San Francisco Bay Area, where I lived almost my entire life, except for a brief stint in Santa Barbara. Uh, I moved here in 2018, so I've been here a little over two years. Uh, and I live south of Kansas City in a town called Freeman, which has under 500 people in it. So that was the a big fact thing. that it has 500 people in it shocks me. I thought it was more like 50. No, it has 482 people, uh, according to the sign, which has oh, okay. not changed since I arrived here in 2018. Presumably, it has, though. Actually, so, alters. So you've been a lifelong like best friend of my wife. Uh, we were all living out on the coast together, and we all moved inland together. And it seems like we might have done so at the right time. Do you feel that way? 
Oh, I, I so do. Um, like, it's a uh, it was weirdly good timing. Um, I do feel very lucky to have jumped ship, so to speak, uh, from the coast at that time. Yeah, um, I feel like there's a thing that happens with people on the coast. We I, we've discussed it before, where they're like, "What are you doing, uh, moving to bumfuck nowhere?" And we're like, "Well, having." having a better life, uh, I, I guess. And uh, nothing could have solidified that faster than, uh, you know, if I was still in L.A., uh, COVID would mean I'm not coming out of my house for another three months. Like, so, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, I think we did okay. And and you're you're even further out there where you're just like, I don't know, I live on like 80 acres of land. I've got my own pond. My family all lives here with me. Like, you, you, yeah. you're living the dream even in comparison to me. Yeah, like, even okay, so my two brothers are still in California, but my parents, like five years ago, just peaced out to Montana. Okay, so they have a place in Montana, and they're about as rural as I am now, just in Montana. Okay, but, but we had family in Montana before, and Montana is actually where Californians traditionally go to oh, when sure. they want to retire and they have like a little bit of savings. You go to Montana and you get some space. So, like, even my parents are, like, slightly worried about me (laughs) being very rural in Missouri. So, like, they've called me several times. Like, every time a new 2020 thing hits, they're just like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, we're still good. We still don't see anyone. We're still really enjoying all of the trees and flowers out here. So yeah, it's kind of so, like. So you are far enough out there that like you you have this sort of space to be able to be like, what if we just had like a bunch of rabbits? Like it, it <laughs> is in such stark contrast to who you were in San Francisco, crammed into a tiny place with, with no money. Uh, it, it, like I feel like you and I are both like ads for Missouri. Like Missouri should pay us to be like, <laughs> yeah, look what you yeah, can accomplish. Yeah, except that Missouri is like, please don't bring us any more Californians. Because, like, you you and uh, Vivian and myself and my family are not the only Californians who came out at almost exactly the same time. Like, we kind of colonized a little bit. We brought out two other families with us. I, I, I brought out my friend Rowan, so she's here. Like, yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of people that I, I keep moving to Missouri and to Kansas City, especially that, like, shouldn't have been here, but I'm like, but like, it's nice here. I don't know how to say it any other way. <laughs> we came out for a visit because we were, you know, we were trying to be sensible. We realized at one point that we were never going to be able to afford a larger place in California. We would just reset the clock on an impossible mortgage and live like serfs for the rest of our lives. And so we realized <laughs> we're going to have to leave. But then the question was, okay, well, where do we go? There's a lot of places. And we looked at all the places that you kind of, you know, like Californians are like, go to Oregon, you know, go to Denver, whatever. And our friends had just moved out to Kansas City and we came out to visit and just like immediately liked Kansas City in a lot of ways. And, you know, the cost of living is great. There's a lot of places where the cost of living is very low, but we really enjoyed Kansas City. We hadn't had a summer here, so we didn't know about that. But, you know... um, There was something sort of magical about how you moved in, even as far out of the city as you are, near your friends who are also part of your D&D group. So you managed to, like, come from California 
and keep your D and D group intact. Uh, and it, it it always fascinates me. I'm like, wow, I I just wish that everyone's D and D group would move from the Midwest together, uh, sort of start a commune or a co-op uh, out, out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, and and just thrive and and be rat people by night. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we moved out in a in a sort of improbable and, and magical way, where we just like kept part of our friend group, uh, the parts that also wanted to move to Missouri and wouldn't think that it was a really weird thing to do. And you know, now we all have chickens. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what did That's you do that. when you were in San Francisco? So uh, I worked for eight years as a second grade teacher. And uh, for four of those years, I was simultaneously a vice principal, and I do not recommend doing that. Um, And during that same four years of doing two full-time jobs at the same time that are already very difficult, I also had two children. So I stopped doing that. I still have children. Are children jobs? They are very much jobs. Oh, no. Well, actually, you know what? They're the opposite of jobs because you work very hard at them, but they take all your money. So, and and that was another problem. And we, we, by the way, were not even living in San Francisco. We were just in the Bay Area, and then we moved out to Sonoma County. So we were about 20 miles away from San Francisco. And I will tell you that childcare in, in like a home daycare with very strict, you got to pick them up at 3 o'clock hours, still ran us about $2,000 a month. So... Let me tell you that before I tell you that I stopped teaching second grade and got a very lucrative job doing brand management in the wine industry. Um, And, uh, yeah, around the time that our CEO and owner was uh, indicted for wire fraud. I just knew something terrible was coming here. I've never heard this story (laughs) before. But if, if you start a sentence with around the time, it's a crime. You know it's a crime. <laughs> I, I I benefited greatly in experience from this job. Uh, I, I worked a couple of jobs in the wine industry, and this one was, was really, uh, in terms of resume fodder, it was great. But uh, the stress was absolutely unbelievable. And uh, when it became clear that the company was going to go – sell off all their assets and go down the toilet. I was just like, all right, well, this would be a good time. We've been talking for a couple of years about moving. And I was like, this is, this is the good time. The houses, the houses doubled in value because California real estate doesn't make any sense. Let's go. And we did. And, and, and Missouri was not just like the obvious choice. It was just like, we should, we should go. We just literally we thought we need to go anywhere. We need to go somewhere And we would probably never have thought of Kansas City if our friends had not suddenly announced that they had bought a house out here. And so we came to visit them because we were we were just shopping for a place anywhere to go. The city shop, the good call. (laughs) Yeah, and it was they they showed us like as much of a real picture of Kansas City as you can get on like a four day trip. We took the kids with us. And it was, you know, I told my husband, I was like, I want to go glass half empty <laughs> to Kansas City. <laughs> like, I already don't particularly want to move 2,000 miles away from everything I've ever known, you know. And I, I want to I want to see, like, the bad parts, too. And it still looked like it, this was a, a good place to go to. There's a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is is this place two thousand miles away from everything you've ever known that much different than what you've ever known? There are some really key differences. Um, I would say that the you know, coming back to just finances, the cost of living means that certain things are more possible for people than they would have been in California. You know, especially working in the wine industry and and loving food and restaurants as much as I do, the the fact that overhead in Kansas City is lower means that there are there's a potential for more interesting and more honest businesses to start up. Um, that doesn't mean I mean like cost of living being lower doesn't compensate completely for differences you know coastal versus Midwest in salary, but. It has been my observation that businesses tend to have a little bit more security and that's a little more fun and people can start businesses up a little more easily. Um, And, I mean, not to be, like, too tied up in really mundane details, but the fact that the traffic is not as bad (laughs) actually means that people have a little bit more mobility um, and you were coming from LA. Like a, emotional space, because like I used to get home at like oh, seven, and then just be like a serial killer for thirty minutes until it's like, no, 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 calm the fuck down. Uh, you just you were just in traffic. That's all it was. <laughs> the 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 traffic was it was it was like this weird sort of Damocles always hanging over your head <laughs> because you couldn't st- you you had to leave at a certain time. You couldn't stop to pick anything up. Five minutes could cost you an hour of your life. Do you remember that stupid movie where, like, everyone is, like, young forever um, and then... Like, In time. Sort of, thank you, yes. Said <laughs> it too um, quick. Should have waited for you to finish so I didn't sound like such a nerd. It's In Time with Justin Timberlake. <laughs> That's the one, yes. That was, like, that, that movie, I think, I thought about that movie all the time when I, like, in my last two years in California, because as much as, like, the movie didn't quite work for me, the concept (laughs) that you could be spending so much of your youth doing other stuff if it, like, everything that you were doing for work was literally about time. Do you have, do you have the resources to take a vacation? Are you able to, like, sit down and learn anything in the evening or just relax or do anything or create anything? No, you can't because you've got to go to bed on time because you've got to get up and you're going to spend the next 30 years of your life doing this because <laughs> everything is costing you your life, including just getting there. And, yeah, um, I when we moved out here almost immediately, despite the stresses of moving and we moved out here without jobs. Like, that's how desperate we were to not be living the lives we were living. (laughs) People keep asking me, like, oh, so did you move out here for work? And I'm like, no, no, we had no work. (laughs) In fact, like, moving out here initially was, like, a a sort of bizarre vacation, which was very stressful. But at the same time, it still wasn't as stressful because everything was slower. Uh. It was just you had more time to think about your financial decisions, about what was going to happen tomorrow. Like there, the right. time and the space afforded out here has been a huge difference. Yeah. Of note about the movie In Time, <laughs> it also contains uh, 
one of the millions of uh, Harlan Ellison uh, lawsuits. Uh, for people that don't know, Harlan Ellison is this sort of like H.G. Wells-ish guy who just wrote like a billion little sci-fi things. Uh, most famously, I have no mouth, but I'm a scream. But uh, later in his life, he just became this litigious piece of shit where every time he saw any sort of sci-fi thing, he was like, hey, that's stolen from something that I wrote. And you're like, yeah, I guess if yeah. you wrote 300 things, you can tie it back to something. And so he, like, the, the big one of the biggest lawsuits in, like, the last decade was him trying to sue the movie In Time. And it was like, oh, but you don't want to take credit for In Time. No. <laughs> Just leave it. You don't need this one. So when you came out here, uh, you were also working in the wine industry. What is the particular berry that Missouri has that no one else has? Oh, okay. It's not that no one else has it, but this is a really interesting fact about Missouri in the wine history of the United States. Um, So Missouri, uh, I, I cannot remember offhand the name of the uh, the scientist, the, the, not botanist, but maybe. Anyway, this individual had been um, grafting and experimenting with creating hybrid grapes. And these are specifically wine grapes. There is there are a lot of different species of grapes, and uh, there's an American, a Native American variety of uh, grape that is not traditionally used for wine. Wine grapes have to be of a specific type. Um, he started grafting or, or, or creating hybrids of European wine grapes like Pinot Noir, Sauvignon Blanc, ones that you would recognize, right. with this Native American grape. And native to the land, country, whatever. Um, and when he came up with these hybrids, they were not great. And they were sort of looked down upon. And, and winemaking takes a lot of practice and a lot of determining the individual characters of the grapes, and, and no one had time for that right then. Right. But <laughs> what happened then was, uh, and it's, there, this is a little bit up for debate, it's possible that this happened because some of these hybrids were taken to Europe we're not really sure. But in Europe, a huge epidemic of phylloxera started happening. Uh, that is a mite that attacks um, grapevines in the United States. We, um, we reversed fucked like France on wine. Oh, yes. <laughs> awesome. Oh, my God. Okay, great. Thanks, Missouri. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, yeah, we infected France. <laughs> with a mite that in the United States does not bother the grapevines, not not the grapes that naturally grow here, uh, but in France it and Italy and this just it very nearly wiped out the entire uh, old vine population in Europe, but especially France, and this happened. I th- oh I want to say right around World War One. I can't remember. World War One or World War Two? It was a World War. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think it was World War Two actually. But it was it was just decimating the vines, and they there's no, It's very difficult to kill. The cause turns out was a cure, and the grafted rootstock. When they brought rootstock over from the United States, that rootstock of those hybridized vines is completely resistant to the mite, and so I think it's something like eighty percent of vines in France 
and in Europe in general are grafted now onto American rootstock of this particular type, these types of hybrids. Uh, because Wait, we saved European wine. What did you say? We saved European wine. We fucked it first, and then we well, saved first it. We fucked it. Then yeah. we saved it. It's oh all very American, but um, <laughs> but yeah, basically, uh, and Missouri actually uh, near Columbia, I think. No, I'm sorry, it is near Columbia, but I can't remember the exact name of the region. But it is actually the first AVA in the United States. It was followed by Napa, something like 18 months later. Huh. So yeah, um, we're the, we're actually the first recognized winemaking state in the U.S. Missouri is. Uh-huh, as a specific <laughs> AVA. Yeah, uh, there's an area near Columbia, like I said, uh, whose name escapes me right now, but it is called the Rhineland of the United States, and they grow, that's why uh, Missourians are so fond of Rieslings and things like that, is because it was sort of a German settled, Herman is the name of the area, and it was settled by a lot of German immigrants and Dutch immigrants, and they brought their vines with them, and uh, now we, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, overly sweet wines because it's too hot for those kind of grapes. So you did something that had you started it a month later, I would be calling you Becky on this. Uh, <laughs> but right before this all started, before all the COVID stuff, you got huge into like sourdough bread making and all this sort of bread making. And then COVID hit and then everyone else in the country was like, I think I should make bread now too. What is it like to be a trendsetter in that way? Okay, first of all, <laughs> my brother literally asked me that last night. He was like, so you were making sourdough before it was cool. Uh, how mad are you right now? And I, 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 I've been making sourdough bread for about five years, and I actually I made my starter off of grapes because it's the same yeast that makes wine that makes sourdough. Um, so you can make a sourdough starter with grapes that you pick off of vines as long as they're organic. But anyway, um, I actually really love that everyone is trying to make sourdough bread for two reasons. First of all, I really enjoy it when other people are doing the stuff that I really like doing because then we can talk about it and I can be really nerdy about the stuff I like to talk about. Um, but also because it's actually a really long learning curve to get to learn how to make good sourdough bread. So, like, in terms of, like, being worried that suddenly this is going to be something that everyone does, no. No. Everyone's going to give up on – I'm convinced that everyone's going to give up on making sourdough bread in the next three months because you have to fail at it for, like, a year before you actually get anywhere near good at it. That's my prediction. Uh, and so you work at a theater now. How is that under COVID? Oh, it doesn't exist. Uh, um, here's the thing. Uh, theaters may be technically open under, like, state. My my work is in Kansas. And so, you know, whether it's Missouri or Kansas, I think theaters are technically open. But um, we are an equity house. And so until equity says, that we are allowed to open back up. We can't hire, uh, because of our contracts, we can't hire the actors and the um, the quotas of actors that we would need to hire in order to stay equity and have access to those performers. Um, added to that, the actual financial, 
you know, whether or not we could meet our our bottom line, basically, uh, with the audience that we would be allowed to have in the theater, and we just don't know how many people would actually go. Right. So at the moment, it's still and, and you guys are like a dinner theater, right? So yeah, so it it kind of compounds the problem there. I will I will now share a thing that I, I don't know if Gail wants me to share, but uh, in the <laughs> Kansas City Star, uh, they did run an ad about a show that was going to be running, and it was in the middle of COVID, just no one had canceled the thing. <laughs> and so everyone in the city was confused, like, is this show happening tonight? Because I'm not allowed to leave my house. <laughs> <laughs> I got to hear about that. Yeah. That was was not my favorite moment during COVID, but, uh, yeah. Well, it's so nice. You and your family are are in, like, maybe the safest space out there. Like, yeah, I, I, everyone that I know that I'm just like, hey, I, I'm so proud of everyone that I know that can fuck off to the woods. But, like, also we here at The Pitch have had a writer who, um, for the last 12 days, there was a family emergency. She had to go to basically the woods. There was no cell reception, and she just got back. And she's like, hey, a lot of stuff happened while I was gone. I was like, go back to the woods. You don't want any part of this. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, we're sufficiently uh, far removed that um, the, you know, my, my dad my dad called me the other day to find out if we were in, you know, any kind of immediate danger from uh-huh. protests. And I was like, Dad, you've been here. No, I mean, not not unless I go to one and stay out past eight. You know, probably not. No. Uh, that being said, uh, you're also not in danger from the protests. You are in danger from. It, it's fine. Everyone gets it. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that's that's my dad's interpretation of events. Um, that being said, uh, where I where I live, uh, I shared with you the other day, everyone, well, it seems like, yeah, everyone has a gun, uh, or in some cases, a lot of them. And so at mm-hmm. one point, there, you know, during the height of the protests and all of the news and the frenzy uh, in the media surrounding them, <laughs> we we were treated to the sound of someone shooting off. It sounded like their entire collection of guns. <laughs> Just checking them out, seeing if they also work. What was that? Just checking them out, seeing if they also work. Yeah, including the oh, this musket. You know what? Still fires. Yeah, and, and some of them definitely did not sound legal. They had a very automatic sound to them. And you know, we know people out here have shooting ranges in their backyards. But I was just like, is now the time really that we're gonna we're gonna test them all for everyone to hear at ten o'clock at night? Okay. Are the uh, the owners of the pitch? Uh, they live next door to a couple who uh, a couple of weeks ago just walked out in the middle of the night and started shooting all their guns in there. But they live in Midtown, and yeah. it was under curfew, so like it didn't take long for police to show up. But uh, the uh, the reception they got is the reception of white people, where the cops were like, "Hey, put down the gun and just hop in the back of the car," and they're like, "Ah, I guess you got me here." It was just like, okay, well, everything's on display right now. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, mm-hmm, yeah, 
Yeah. If anyone's seen Brad Pitt's The Mexican, you know that those bullets come down somewhere. They come down. And it's funny because, like, I have never heard so many people point that out as when I moved here. Because for for the people who who I've met and who've worked with who have lived in downtown Kansas City or or in somewhere in in the metro area for their whole lives, that is a common complaint that bullets come down. It's just like, you know, the yeah. I have to say, as a as a transplant, the uh, the gun laws have taken a little getting used to. The uh, in Los Angeles uh, for the last couple of years, there was a thing while we were there that on like New Year's and Halloween and some other stuff, they have a a fully operational database that. Uh, when a bullet goes into the air, a GPS unit tracks it, and then a cop goes to that place. Uh, and we're just like, hey, why do you turn this on like two days a year? Why don't we build this thing? <laughs> sure. Two days a year, we'll we'll track where the bullets go, but the rest of the time, I don't know. You guys are on your own. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it falls into this pile of things where we're like, it? it's so good to move to Missouri. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That's baffling. <laughs> what is your favorite part about being in Missouri and Kansas City now as a transplant? I, ha- I have to say it's the space. It really is the space. I mean, I, like I said, I, I grew up in Northern California my entire life, and the the town that I grew up in, I mean, I watched it grow more and more and more congested mm. to the point that, like, I mean, I would I would go to a beach that no one knew about one summer, and the next summer, every single day of the year, it was you couldn't move. You had to get there at like five a.m. And the same, you know, for every event, everything that I ever went to, there was it just seemed like there were so many people, and it was really weird. Uh-huh. And um, the the traffic was so bad, and and everything, and part of the charm of San Francisco actually is its sort of closeness. And the same thing about the charm, you know, immediately across the bridge in Marin is, like, the hilliness and, the like, the, the sort of twee little houses, like, tucked up in the hills and everything's sort of difficult to get to. But it's Yeah, but Marin's pretty. full of assholes, so who cares? It is entire, yeah, no, entirely. I have a lot of friends still in Marin. I'm, I'm talking specifically about your <laughs> <his> friends. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, actually, we're having some issues. But, um, no, like, I, the first time that I took my husband to a concert um, at the Sprint Center, it was such a weird experience. Actually, the very first time that I went to a concert in Kansas City, you were also there because we went and saw the Flaming Lips, and we parked across the street from the venue. Right? Of a very right? famous band. Like, people know the band. It's not a mystery. Like, they weren't just starting out on their career. People were there to see them. But, like, we parked across the street, on the street. Mm-hmm. We didn't pay anything for it. We walked into a restaurant without reservations and just, like, sat down, had a snack, had a drink, went to the show. You could walk around inside but it was still like comfortably crowded you know in fact so that one it was also especially nice because there were like on the floor level just a bunch <laughs> of empty seats 
And so yeah. when me and my wife got tired, we just sat in some seats. If you needed one, you didn't. didn't you weren't matter. committed to a seat because as soon as you got up, someone's got to take it from you. You know, like no. it was just. It was, and and as a result, I was so much more able to enjoy not just the concert because, like, I wanted to come and see them play live music, right? And all of that. I wanted the whole light show and everything, but to add to that experience not having to pay all the money for all the things and then just having the whole experience be free from so much more stress. Like mm. I, the last time that I went and did something in San Francisco right before I left, it was literally like two weeks before I left. I was taking my brother to an event. It was, it's not a big or particularly well-known event. Mm. We drove around for 45 minutes looking for parking until we parked so far away from the venue that we took an Uber from our parking space to go there. And both of us were in such a shit mood by the time we got there that we wasted like 30 minutes just trying to get drunk enough to forget our parking adventure. And that has not happened to me once since I have been here. Like that that added stress of just, and you know, by the time we got in there, every it was so crowded you could barely move, you couldn't see anything. Right. You basically had to wait in line three other times during the evening for everything you wanted to do once you got there. That has never happened to me since I have moved here. When we moved, my biggest concern was like, I am a guy that goes to a concert every two or three <laughs> nights. Uh I worry that my bands will not come through. Uh and about a week after we got here Death from Above 1979 was coming through one of my top five favorites. They were at Record Bar, and there were so few people there that I took a chair from the bar and I put it in front of the stage where the mosh pit was and sat in it, and no one had a problem with it. And I was like, this is, for a 33-year-old, the absolute perfect situation. I am sitting in a bar chair. Yeah. Front row. Am I no one's giving me shit about it. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, and that experience has been repeated in in other ways with other things ever since then. And, you know, as a person with kids, like sometimes kid stuff can be very stressful because you know you might be used to waiting in line. Right. Kids aren't, and no matter right. how well trained they are, they have breaking points. They're still kids. So, yeah. You know. But, like, it, it, that also has just been such a treat. You want to go to a thing, a kid thing? Sure, there's plenty of room for your kid. Walk <laughs> right in. It's $2. It's just like, and it doesn't suck. It's not like there's no line and it's $2 because it's terrible. It's just that there is enough room and it doesn't cost that much, much for us to put this thing on. Here you go. Sure. I'm yeah, so glad that we have like the coast versions of ourselves because, like, to, to have just started here, I wouldn't have been to prank ourselves, but we get to prank <laughs> ourselves. And I was like, "Hey, do you remember that decade that this is how you fucking lived, you idiot, <laughs> you stupid dum dum? Like, did you not know that there are places in the country where you could just do this for two bucks?" <laughs> oh my god! Like. I mean, for us, it was definitely the perfect time to move out here. But at the same time, yeah, you look at it and you're just like, why did you think that this was great? Why did you, why did you think you could do this thing? Why? 
Did you never examine that? It's almost like there was like a propaganda machine at work. I was in Los Angeles. I saw people that were in movies. Army Hammer ate at the restaurant in my neighborhood. He was two different Winklevosses in 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 my favorite movie. Like it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and I mean, I I don't even have the excuse of of having like come from somewhere else and been like, oh, now I'm here and I've made it in California. No, I was just like that. It was like it's like the sunscreen song where it's just like, oh, this is what California was. Believe before you get soft. And I got soft, and I just stayed there until, like, I was literally forced out. And then I was like, oh, wow, I'm so happy that happened. So glad I got forced out of there because, yeah, I mean, I I, I realize that I'm very fortunate in being able to, to just purchase a house. But at the same time, if we had not bought a house previously in California and then sold it, and it's not like it was a, you know, it was a nice little house. It was cute. It was in a little neighborhood, and the population of the town apparently doubled in size in the eight years that we lived there. And what used to be a five-minute drive turned into 45, but that's fine. Um, we we moved out here, and, you know, we got a house that's it's, – it's, it's a silly size of a house, but even if we hadn't had that opportunity to, like, cash in our equity, we would still be able to afford a house that was, like, three times the size of the one that we had in California, just by getting regular jobs, just normal jobs. As we close out, what has been your favorite moment from being in Kansas City? My favorite moment. Okay, um, coming back around to bread uh, for the last. <laughs> Come <laughs> back. back home. <laughs> sure. <laughs> for the last two years. I have been selling bread at the um, the Lewisburg uh, Farmer's Market. It's a little farmer's market, little town. And last year, I sold out almost every single weekend. I made 30 loaves of bread and about three dozen pastries every weekend, and I would sell out. And the day that I actually had a line at my stall, I was so proud because – this was this is exactly like the emotional and the, and the time space. It wasn't so much the money of, you know, like being able to start up the stall, buy the ingredients. It's the time. And I was working full time, but I was still able to do this thing that I had dreamed about doing for years. Right. And I came out here and within three months of moving out here, I was like, I'm going to try this. And I bought a folding table and we started doing the farmer's market and by the next year, I had a little following of people. I had regular customers who would come every morning. And that has been a huge thing for me because it says to me, making this big change, leaving all these things behind, taking this risk, it's such a tan- – this farmer's market little adventure has been such a tangible proof to me that I'm not stuck and I can do things that I want to do and I can pursue dreams. I, I just have to be brave enough to go do that. So well, and, and it, it ties into, like, every part of everything else he says. Like, uh, the moment that you don't spend two hours in traffic every day in Los Angeles, going to Santa Monica and back again to Los Feliz, uh, is when you find time to be like, hey, I haven't uh, written a song in 10 years. Or um, yeah. that book I was working on that I really wanted to finish before my grandfather died. 
you can do that. Like, yeah, there is just uh, there is the time, and not even just the time, but the emotional, mental, like space to be like, oh, mm-hmm. I can take this on, and I fucking love that you found yours so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I I had. I had a drive. I really wanted to make bread for money. But I most, <laughs> most of all, actually, that's not true. The The biggest motivator for me was I make more bread just because I want to try out new bread stuff than my family can eat. And my family does not necessarily like, you know, like uh, roasted garlic, black sesame, cream cheese, chive-infused sourdough bread. Like, what is wrong with your small children? They're wrong about their opinions and flavors. <laughs> they are uh, unduly influenced by their father. Uh... So we can just lay blame. Anyway, um, yes, I that that space, that time when I was a teacher, there was um, sort of a philosophy that early childhood educators were trying to instill in parents that you you mustn't fall prey to the idea that you need to schedule every second of your children's day. You literally need to allow them some time to get bored because if they get bored, then the, they, they have, you know, just, just for a little while, like don't lock them in a room and you know, uh-huh. not give them any simulation, but leave them alone with their toys, with their Legos, with things so that they have a chance to use their own brain instead of, like, you constantly scheduling them. It's stressful to go immediately from activity to activity to activity. And I kind of felt that way when we moved out here with it. I had that space suddenly to just sit for a quiet moment and just be like, you know, I I could probably do this. I could plan this out. I could make a list. And then, like, one by one, do the things on it. The possibility of boredom is the worst fucking Malcolm Gladwell book title I've ever heard. Oh, my God. (laughs) What we need to do is lock children away, and that's when they'll figure out their stuff. Gail, where can people find you and support you and follow your work? Um, My website is uh, aucontrairekc.com. And uh, that's where you will you will find uh, the various types of breads that I make. Uh, if you are out south of Kansas City, you can find me at the Lewisburg Farmers Market starting June twentieth this year. Um, and if you follow me on Instagram at OContrairKC, then you can see some of the breads and things that I make. Gail, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. All right, talk to you soon. Bye bye bye. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to Streetwise, the podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. Please check out our website, thepitchkc.com. Chip in a couple of bucks if you feel like supporting local journalism. We really appreciate it. Uh, Pitch in and we'll get through. Thank you. Thank you.